Sardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Fraudology Podcast, where every week we will dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an online fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. I've focused my career on online fraud prevention for almost two decades, and I'm trusted by hundreds of the most well-known e-commerce companies to help them prevent fraud and abuse. I strongly believe that the best way we can collectively decrease cyber fraud is through information sharing and collaboration. And through the discussions on this podcast, we'll do just that. Welcome to this week's episode of the Fraudology Podcast. I'm so glad you're tuning in because this week's episode is a big one, especially if you are a fan of my previous podcast, the online fraudcast with my co-host, former cyber criminal Brett Johnson. That podcast ended in the summer of 2020, and you'll hear a little bit about why in this interview. And we've both since created our own podcasts, but we recently learned some pretty big news revealing one of the longest running cons in the 21st century. And we thought it would warrant a one-time reunion to discuss this topic that we're both uniquely qualified to lend our unique perspectives and experiences to. And Truthfully, we realized that each of us talking about it separately really wouldn't do this topic justice. This discussion can also be found on Brett's podcast, the Anglerfish podcast. And if you haven't yet subscribed to that, I recommend it. I will include a link to that in the show notes. What follows is a conversation about the famous subject of a recent book by Alan C. Logan titled The Greatest Hoax on Earth, Catching the Truth While We Can. We've included links to the NPR article that we referenced in the episode, as well as how to purchase the book in the show notes. And I highly recommend that you do purchase the book. There are so many details and stories in it that we just didn't have time to cover. So with that, I am going to let you listen in on this discussion I had with Brett that I really enjoyed. And we're really just talking about the latest information about the infamous Frank Abagnale Jr. We're discussing a book that came out and people are probably like, why are you guys doing a book review? (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, we used to have a podcast together, the online broadcast, and we never really did a book review when we had our own show, probably because there's not that many books about fraud out there. Certainly not very many good ones. Maybe that means you need to write one soon. Maybe. (laughs) Or you, one of us. I'll put that on you for now. I saw an article from NPR about this about a week ago, and I sent you the link right away and figured you knew about it and you didn't. And so I instantly ordered it and I've been reading it and really thought that we needed to talk about the subject of the book. So first, I want to just give a little bit of background on the subject. So if you've been in fraud prevention for any amount of time, and honestly, he's known well beyond our community, but chances are you've seen or heard Frank Abagnale speak at a conference. You've read his books or have most definitely seen the Steven Spielberg movie starring Leonardo DiCaprio as Frank W. Abagnale Jr. titled Catch Me If You Can. Frank was born in 1948. Since the late 70s, he's created an impressive career of telling his life story as a reform con man who, among other things, successfully impersonated a surgeon for over a year, a district attorney for two years, 
a BYU professor for some time, and probably most famously, he impersonated a TWA pilot for over a year without ever flying a plane. He used all these positions to commit check fraud and other scams, including his most well-known grift of over $2.5 million in bad checks from TWA Airlines in the late 60s. So all of these things happened before his mid-20s. And these experiences led to some incarceration and then reform. And he spent the last four decades traveling the world, sometimes charging as much as $40,000 a speech at professional conferences. And I've attended a few of those being interviewed on TV shows and educating others about fraud and scams to presumably help people learn how to avoid being scammed by people who are like he used to be. I think one thing that's made him an endearing criminal is that he has always assured his audiences that he only stole from large corporations and banks and never small businesses or everyday people. So I guess a lot of us probably write it off as a victimless crime and enjoy his stories. I mean, obviously we know that on the fraud fighting side, it's not victimless, but that's you think, okay, well, large corporations back in the 60s, we can kind of detach ourselves from it. Brett and I have both met Frank over the years and would sometimes speak at the same events, either at the same time or a year before or after he was a keynote. So now that you know who the subject of the book is, here's a high-level synopsis of the book. And then we're going to get to probably what everyone's going to consider the good stuff, which is Brett and I sharing our opinions and perspectives about all of this. <laughs> In short, the author Alan C. Logan, an investigative journalist, was intrigued by Frank's over-the-top and almost unbelievable tales and thought it was strange that none of his victims, especially TWA, had ever commented on his crimes. And neither had any members of law enforcement, especially any of the local police departments or FBI that famously was on his trail throughout his criminal days and in the movie. When he's been asked about this in the past, Frank's response has always been, the people I deceived are too embarrassed to admit they were conned. So Alan looked into it further. And in short, he was able to find proof that debunks almost every story that Frank Gabagnale Jr. has told over the last 40 years. He did confirm that Frank was a criminal in the 60s and early 70s. He did write a lot of fake checks. He charmed people into thinking he was in positions that he wasn't, including a TWA pilot. But instead of conning an entire industry and hundreds of banks, he primarily victimized one woman named Paula Parks and her family in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Paula is still alive and was more than willing to be interviewed for this book, as well as other victims of Frank's past. But the details are a lot different than Frank's version. Paula tells stories of being stalked and scared for her safety and how Frank conned his way into living with her parents in her old bedroom for over a month. They were generous to strangers, but didn't have a lot of money. However, over time, Frank wrote over $1,500 in bad checks from their checking account, burned a lot of bridges with people they introduced him to, and stole from several small businesses. The main focus throughout the book is to debunk the lies that Frank Abagnale has told over the years, and there were a lot of them. I think it's worth mentioning that towards the beginning of his reformed career, when he started out on To Tell the Truth in 1977 and later appeared on Johnny Carson at least three times, at least two local newspaper journalists did write articles that debunked Frank's life story that he'd been telling on TV. But because this was long before the internet, the truth stayed in San Francisco and in Oklahoma. And in response, Frank canceled all upcoming events in those areas and then moved on to another city. This book by Alan Logan is 447 pages, all about Frank and all basically debunking his lies and telling a very different story about his life. 
Plus, it includes almost 20 pages of source material in the bibliography, reflecting the evidence he discovered during his search. Mountains of evidence. And while I haven't yet read the full book in detail, I'm about a third of the way in, I feel confident to say that this is a lot more solid proof and evidence of the past than I have ever heard or read from Abagnale. So we feel confident about sharing this information and talking about it as truth. So Brett, why do we care? <laughs> Where do we start? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's funny. I took this hiatus from social media, stepped away from that, stepped away from the Anglerfish podcast I've been doing. COVID apathy is what I chalk it up. To. Yeah. And, uh, I came back and, you know, I, how I am, Carice. I mean, hell, I, I don't hesitate to call out somebody. So I was busy doing that. And you sent me this article about Frank Abigail, talking about him basically being a fraud. And I responded, well, I'm, I've got to talk about that. And you're like, I figured you would. So, you know, three days later, Frank McKenna from over on Frank on Fraud, he sends me. It sent it to him too. <laughs> yeah. He sends me a YouTube clip asking me, hey, what do you think about this? And my response to him was, I've got mixed emotions. Hmm. And I, I truly do. I'm truly, sure. Yeah. Because the reason that, that I'm doing what I'm doing today is because of Frank Abagnale. Mm, in part. I mean, he, let, I, to be honest, he, he opened that pathway. Yeah. He did. He opened that pathway of, of some sort of reformed fraudster coming in and, and speaking and consulting and, and being a public figure instead mm -hmm. of hiding. Right. And, uh, and getting paid a lot of money to do and it. And getting paid well. Getting paid yeah. very well. I have those emotions going through, though, that, that emotion of the, the story's inspirational. He opens a path for you. He's done all this stuff. And then, well, turns out that a lot of those stories are not true. Now, here's the thing. I know that people of notoriety that become public figures, there's a lot of embellishments there. So, yeah, you tell the story over and over and over again. I mean, that's natural yeah. here and there. But... but you know what the difference is? Mm -hmm. The difference is, is those embellishments usually come from the media and come from the people who watch the speaker. Right. They don't come hmm. from the speaker himself. Good point. These stories come directly from Frank Abner. He's the one that's been doing the embellishments. Well, and the first part of the, the book, lies. they talk about, yeah, they talk about how he created his own press kit and really said everything about himself and just handed it over to people. Yeah. It was like 20 pages here. Here's who I am. Here's who I am. And he actually hasn't done a lot of direct interviews with media. You said at this, at this opening, when you were talking to me ago, we both met Frank Abigail. No, no. Oh, you haven't met him. No. Ooh, and I really want to tell that story. Do you want to tell that story now? Here's or do you want to tell it? About that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Let, let's, let me tell you what's actually went on. All right. Okay. So I wasn't each, sure if you want to start there or like yeah. how he, okay. Yeah. So just to be open about this. Yeah. AARP, he's, he was running a broadcast, uh, a fraud podcast for AARP. Titled The Perfect Scam, which Titled I find the perfect scam. ironic. And so, this is not against AARP. Like we, no, we, I, I we love like them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you work with them. An ambassador for them. Right. Love the guy, love the group. They're outstanding. But he was doing a, a podcast with them. They flew me in to be on that podcast. Uh, it's, it's him and another gentleman. Mm -hmm. So I fly into DC to appear on the podcast. The day I show up to record, Frank Abendale has basically called in sick. But he didn't even get on the plane, right? Like no. he called he called while you were there. This is what got me. Like 
I mean, if he didn't get on the plane the day before, you'd think he'd say something, but he didn't call until you were already in the studio waiting. Can't make it. Can't make it. Yeah. I'm, I'm someplace else. All right. <laughs> now, the weird thing is, is they edited it in later to make it appear <laughs> that he was in the studio. Mm -hmm. All right. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. You see, the mm -hmm. thing is, is he and I are in Quantico the same time oh. twice a year. Right. Twice a year. We both speak at the CISO Academy. No, we don't teach classes. We mm -hmm. both speak at the CISO Academy. All right. Mm -hmm. Now, he gives his speech and he hits the door. All right. I have yet to meet that man. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I respect the guy. I do. I truly respect the guy because he did open that door. The reason that Brett Johnson is speaking is because Frank Abinell kind of paved that way. Mm -hmm. All right. And I, Maybe my feelings are hurt. I guess they kind of are because I'm like, hey, man, I'm not trying to, to hurt you or anything. I'd just like to meet you. I'd like to shake your hand and say thank you. Yeah. But I've never been able to meet the guy, and I've mm -hmm. always wondered why. I think and I got to tell you. I got to tell you. Game recognizes game, right? He didn't like to recognize his game. Yeah, I think that I think that, that, that idea that it takes a crook to recognize a crook or know a crook, mm -hmm. I think it's got some truth to it. I think that, that maybe the guy is scared I'll look at him and say he's full of shit. I've you actually know? been saying that for a long time, but we're going to talk about that in a little bit. I'm curious to know if you are concerned at all that people are going to question the truth of your story. Now. Well, here's the thing. Um, I had a I had a conversation, and this is why I wanted to, to record this. Mainly. Mm -hmm. All right. I had a conversation with the FBI agent a few months ago. And the thing about COVID, this, this pandemic is, and I, People, criminals are saying this all over the place. If you didn't become, if you were a fraudster and didn't become rich during the pandemic, there's something wrong. All right. Yeah. And uh, I was absolutely bananas. Yeah. I was talking to the agent. You know, I've had it rough, had a lot of stuff canceled, but you know, I'm making all right. I've not committed any crimes. I'm doing okay. Got all the payments delayed, got the mortgage delayed, got a, two PPP loans at 20K a piece. And we're, we're making ends meet. We're doing okay. And uh, he look, he tells me, he's like, Brett, he's like, you got to understand, man. He's like, this is more than just you. Mm. He said, what you're doing is you're paving the way mm. for everybody else that follows a pastor at that point. And he was right, because Frank Abagnale did that, too. Mm. But it's more than just Frank Abagnale. It's it's me. It's everybody else that, that followed past him that becomes this public figure that comes from the history of notoriety and reforms, finds that reformation. So it's, 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 damn it, man. Damn it to hell. I mean. Just tell the truth. Yeah. Well, my, so my perspective for people who don't know how you and I met, there are, there's record of that whole long story, but you really weren't well known. You hadn't ever spoken at an event. I didn't know if you could publicly speak. I mean, luckily right. you blew me away, but when you sent me a LinkedIn connection request and I saw this guy put shadow crew on his LinkedIn, <laughs> like what the heck? And so I had always in my head for years when I was planning huge conferences for the biggest companies in the world focused on fraud and risk and trust and safety. I had always in the back of my head wanted a public speaker who was a reform criminal, but a reform criminal in cyber. So Abagnale had spoken at this conference before, I think maybe two or three times in total in the last 15, 16 years. But I didn't feel like it really helped anyone in the audience do their job better. He knew check fraud. We know internet fraud. And he would 
try to talk about internet fraud and it really sounded regurgitated from someone else. And it's, it, it didn't even sound like he had read the owner's manual versus us driving the car. It kind of sounded like he'd like read the Cliff's notes of the owner's manual and was like trying to tell us. And I was like, that doesn't even make any sense. And I just felt like with, with all the people out there committing so much crime, like I know that there's so much money out there and I know a lot of them aren't caught, but I'm just going to, this was kind of like the unicorn I kind of kept my eye out for, right? So when you reached out to me, that was what I was thinking was like, this could possibly be Frank Abagnale 2.0, someone who can help us do our job better, someone who's actually committed online fraud and understands credit cards and bins and all of that stuff. And and so I recognized that I, I felt like his information was outdated, but not even just that. I, I just got that weird feeling in my gut. Like this sounds like a lot of bullshit. And I at least knew that like, there's a lot of extra embellishments, obviously, but I just, and I didn't ever think like, oh, none of that happened. I, I don't think I ever thought that, but I just felt like oh, that feels weird. And also, why are you not still in jail? I don't know. There's just a lot of questions, right? But I, I went through this huge vetting process before ever inviting you to a conference. And right. that, I talked to FBI agents. I tried to talk to your parole officer. I spoke to people that you had worked with, that you had worked for free with because you were just trying to like get your bearings. And I talked to you a lot. And I understood. So I did everything I could because before bringing you into the fold, before bringing you in as a trusted source, and I knew that the biggest companies in the world would want, would stand up and in line wanting to talk to you afterwards and say, Hey, we've got this vulnerability. What do you suggest we do? And that's exactly what happened. And so, I mean, a very very large tech company. I mean, because of my introduction, hired you right after that event to come help them with pen testing. One of the top, what, three, five tech companies in the world. And so I knew that that was going to happen. So I took that job very seriously, but it feels like nobody really did that with Abigail. They took his word for it. And no offense to you, but you're one of the top social engineers in the world. I wasn't going to take your word for it. I feel like that's what, that's where some people have failed here. Like, well, you know, you, <laughs> you it was have, 40 years ago. doesn't mean you can't, you can't verify. I mean, Alan Logan just verified it in 450 yeah. pages. You, you asked if I was scared that it affects me. When I first started speaking, mm-hmm. I referred to myself when I, when I would send out the emails and on, yeah. and on the website, and I don't know if it's still on the website. I hope it's not, but uh, I would refer to myself as a hacker. Hmm. Because I didn't know, here's the deal with it. I didn't know that these companies, I, I figured that the companies, they want this re- reformed hacker. Mm. Well, I'm not a hacker. man. Mm-hmm. I'm a fraudster. I'm a social engineer. I'm damn good at that stuff. Mm-hmm. But as far as hacking, nah, I can barely code. I barely code. I know, I, know, I know how to commit crimes and I know how to lock up money. Mm-hmm. I can do that all day long. <laughs> You've proven that <laughs> but, <laughs> many times. <laughs> but, 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 you know, as far as hacking, but that's what I said. You know, I'm, I'm a former hacker. Hmm. I, I think I told people I was I'm the number, I was the number one hacker on the planet twice, twice when Shadow Crew was arrested and then later on the most wanted list. Well, I was, I was very important, but I was not a hacker. Right. So that was that embellishment. Well, what happens with me is about the third speech in. I've told you this before, about the third speech in. Mm-hmm. I, I left out that I had violated probation because I was scared of people judging me. Yeah. Uh, some stuff like that. About the third presentation in, it was becoming kind of evident to me, this is probably what you're going to be doing for a while, Brett. Mm-hmm. So I was like, do you get up here and do you leave stuff out? Or do you just tell the truth, let it fall where it may, and be done with it? About the fourth presentation, I got up there and I was like, you know what? Just lay it out there. 
And you've told some really uncomfortable truths on stage. A lot of uncomfortable truths. Because I I don't want anybody to look at me and say, you left this out. You didn't tell us about this. Right. Oh, no. No, it's, by God, it's been up there on stage. And if anyone's (laughs) listened to even a couple episodes of your first season of the Anglerfish podcast, you are very open about the things that happened in your life, both before you committed crime, during, and after. And that's something I really admire about you. And So I'm not... I'm yeah. not worried. I'm, I'm, I mean, Good. I'm concerned. I'm, con- I'm concerned not only for me, but you've got all these other guys, man. And that's what that FBI agent pointed out. You've got mm-hmm. all these other guys that are trying to do the right thing. There's not many of us that do that. There's not <laughs> and it's many. it's really, I mean, you and I have talked to at least one former fraudster who said they were going to go on the right path or a current fraudster saying they're going to change. Yeah. We know, and I tried to explain to him, like, and I've had a couple come to me because they think I'm a kingmaker since I introduced you to this world and, sure. and helped out your career at the beginning. But it's not easy. I mean, in a way, I kind of was testing you for the first few months. We didn't pay you till months after you, I mean, until you spoke, right? So there right. were like seven or eight, or maybe six, I don't remember. It was from November to May, months in between there where we talked about it and you didn't get paid till after you spoke right. because we didn't want you to run off with the money. Oh well, yeah. <laughs> a much more humble amount than what Abagnale charges. But you know, that to me was like proof he's willing to work for it. And he's not just like, you didn't give up, right? I think that's really what it is. So many people, they might think, okay, I'm going to be reformed or they see you and they think it's really easy to get this big check. It it has not been easy for you. You have stayed the course. And to your point, anyone who knows fraud has made a killing this year, except for you. And that's because you've stayed on the straight and narrow. And I have a lot of respect for you for that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do, Carissa. And you know that, you know, I make good, when, when the world is turned on, I make good money speaking and consulting. Yep. I make good money. Now, now last year, I did not make good money. We we had delayed payments. I took out, I got two 20K PPP loans. I did the unemployment bit. I was entitled to that. So I did the unemployment, the PUA stuff. And we made ends meet. And, and you got unemployment in your own name is what you're saying. Yeah, in my own name. and, and Own name, which well, I know you did. I'm just... Yeah, and, and in March, in March, when all this stuff was hitting, I told, I set the boys down in the shell and I was like, look, I said, uh, probably all the speaking engagements are going to get canceled. Mm-hmm. Not going to be any consulting this year. Mm-hmm. Everything's going to shut down. I said, the way the story ends is with Brett Johnson back committing fraud and in prison for 20 years. And uh, that's the first time in my entire life that I have really shared that fear of breaking the law. Yeah, and 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 I shared it with everybody. With the you FBI. shared it on your podcast. Yeah, yeah you told the FBI. You said it, this is everybody. hard. I mean, it almost sounded like, and I think you can. We've used this analogy before in our previous podcast when we talk. Like it's almost like it's very similar to an alcoholic, right? Yeah. Like going to a bar. And I and had people that reached out to easy. I'm yeah. It, like it could have been really, really easy yeah. for you to go back. Uh, the, the U.S. government has not made it hard to commit fraud right now, and and no. that's no. a whole other long conversation. <laughs> no, they've not. It's been very how easy. much I've tried to help. I've, I've been, been I've easy. done interviews with major news groups, everything else, the past four months on all this crap that's been going on. One of the states hired me, and I tried to help, and it was a hey. challenge. Like, I like I could lead a horse to water. It was just like, oh, it was so frustrating. Like the third Indiana Jones movie, they chose poorly. 
<laughs> not with you, but the company. Right. They well, well, and it's actually not just that. That's only one very small layer <laughs> of frustration. But it was more. It wasn't the people. It was the bureaucracy. It was the sure. the lack of ambition or the lack of care of the people. And they were all spread thin. There was no one that was in charge of this before. They never thought about it before. They were very uneducated about what could happen. So, I mean, at first they told me that the only fake IDs they saw were the ones with Taylor Swift's face on it. And I was like, <laughs> that just means that those are the only ones you saw. That's the only one you caught. That's the only yeah, one. yeah, yeah. Once I was able to start showing them what some of these look like from ID God and all that, like they were, yeah. So, I mean, that, like I said, we could go on that forever, but like to your point, it was tempting, but it, you've been nothing but honest and truthful. And that is the difference. And the fact that you don't have a movie yet about your life is I, I've always said it's, it's a matter of time, sure. but it's this fact that this guy just basically created a story. I mean, reading this book has made me angry. It, and I mean, because it really is so different and I mean, i'm not you know there's just there's a lot of things in here that i really feel my sense of justice doesn't have limitations to people right. using stolen credit cards or you know all the other scams and schemes and and fraud tactics that happen online and i think my sense of justice is just so fired up about this and it's the fact that a lot of companies have trusted him he spoke for google recently when talking about all this stuff and so many other companies one thing i wanted to clarify cuz you you brought it up too i knew that both you and frank had spoken for the ciso academy but at least one chapter of this book really talks about how frank brags that he teaches ethics at the fbi at quantico right and he's a professor of ethics. I trying to. I should try to find this spot, but it's like a direct. It's a direct quote of what he does. I don't believe. But the author said he wasn't able to find any proof of that. Do you know if he? I mean, speaking at the CISO Academy is one thing, and it's very good and important. And also, I don't believe they pay you guys for that, right? But what do you know if he's also a professor at Quantico? Well, here's the thing. As far as I know, no. Now, there's a reason. FBI and federal law enforcement, they have a policy of not commenting. Right, right, right. If you ever, right. If you ever see any federal agency, law enforcement agency, comment on a criminal, something is way off track at that point, way off track, all right? Publicly, because the people I know, though, yeah. Right. Now, <laughs> it's interesting that it's, he says ethics. So here, I found the quote. I teach ethics at the Federal Bureau of Investigation Academy, which is ironic. But someone at the Bureau said, who better than you to do this? And this is a direct quote from 2015. All right. So here's the problem. With that. The problem with that is I'm in keynote at the ACFE conference this year. Oh. Right, that's a free conference because yep. they don't pay criminals. That's right? right. So the way that certified fraud examiners get credit for me speaking falls under the ethics portion. All right. So what I'm thinking is, and maybe I'm wrong. But what I'm thinking is, is that Frank Abnell says he teaches ethics. And what he's actually doing is he's getting up there like I do. Right. And you tell your life story. All right. And it falls under the ethics category. Now, is that teaching ethics? I guess if you want to stretch it out. Here, <laughs> yeah, that's teaching ethics. But the thing is, is that there's, oh, my God. I mean, it's got to. That implies quite a bit different than just I tell, I get up and tell stories, which we now know are not true. Which are not true. 
So here's another portion of the book I was going to read just these are some of his claims and this is from it's in his own words from a recorded speech summarizing his life experiences so it's a short version compared to the long one but it says when I was 16 years old I successfully impersonated an airline pilot for Pan American Airlines for two years until I was 18. At the age of 18, I became the chief resident pediatrician of a Georgia hospital where I practiced medicine there for about a year. At the age of 19, having never been to law school in my life, I took the state bar exam in the state of Louisiana. I passed the bar and became a licensed attorney. Before my 19th birthday was over, I was appointed the assistant attorney general of the state where I practiced law in that position for about a year. At the age of 20, I was a college professor at Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah. I taught two full semesters there as a PhD, of course. Before I was old enough to drink, I was a millionaire twice over. See, that's that's problematic. It's problematic. Um, and this author goes through each one of those claims and debunks them, like, I mean, with so much proof. It's, it's ridiculous. And, and I, mean, I, I don't know. Really close to true. I mean, it doesn't make any sense, right? But they're all things that could have been verified by people back then. I mean, so much so that, like, in order to be a professor at BYU, you have to be Mormon and religious and have to right. go through all these things. Also, one of somebody who had seen Frank Abagnale speak, and this is back in like the 80s, met somebody that was from the attorney general's office in Louisiana and said, oh, did you ever work with Frank Abagnale? And they said, no. And we don't know who that is, but people keep asking whatever. And right. the guy said, well, ask him what floor our offices were on. That mutual connection goes and asks Frank. And he says, oh, it's uh, on the second floor. Very, very confident. <laughs> they were on the 20th floor. I mean, there uh, are so many things like this that were just like, what? I mean, the residency that he claims to have done, surgical residency that he claims to have done, they that hospital only had 50 employees at the time and none of them were residents. They had no residency program. Like they were all, th that's, I mean, I'm like, if you're gonna lie, like at least, but I think it was the confidence, right? And that's, sure. I mean, the con man piece. And I mean, I don't mean to be hyperbolic, but I think his real scam is the last 45 years. There you go. There you go. And here, here's the secret to this. And I, I've said, I think I've told you this. As long as you are confident in doing it, as long as you act like you're supposed to be doing it, know what the hell you're doing. Yeah. You're good to go. People are not going to question that. So there's a reason you could walk into any building in the world as long as you've got a ladder. Right. As long as you act like you know mm -hmm. what you're doing, you're good to go. Yeah, right. You can go in there and start pulling computers out, whatever you want to do, as long as you just act like you know what you're doing. All right. Mm -hmm. My biggest thing, and I, yeah, I mean, hell, there's a there's a whole load of lies there. My biggest thing, my the, what pisses me off more than anything, mm -hmm. more than anything, and I didn't know it until I read the article because I've never watched a speech of this, not read the book, I've seen the movie. But my biggest issue is he said that he never stole from people. I know. And never hurt mom and pop businesses. Yep. That's my biggest issue. And the reason why that's the biggest issue is because I know that every single fraudster on the planet, everyone starts by stealing from people. Yeah. And hurting mom and pop businesses. It doesn't differ. It doesn't differ. There's no, 
There's no, I'm going to start hitting It was like he was trying to say I was Robin Hood. I went from doing nothing to all of a sudden pretending I was a pilot and and creating these checks with model airplanes with a TWA symbol on them and taking them to a random bank and charming the woman. And there's a reason. There's right. a reason he says like that. He says it went from nothing to that. And I agree with you because that's that feels like as an audience member, like, eh, it's a big company. They can, I mean, me, myself, working with so many large companies, I know firsthand how much it's not a victimless crime, how expensive it is, how many people do. I mean, I know the impact, but yeah. I think, do you think that's why he selectively chose these? The thing is, and I know his thought process by because I am that freaking. Yeah, uh, yeah, I know. His yes, yes, you guys are what very similar. What he's doing is, is he's saying what I need to do is I say I've never stolen from people. I've only hit governments and businesses. Mm-hmm. That way, when you talk to a company, the people who are listening to you, those attendees out there, it's not personal to them. It's not. Right. They can step aside and enjoy the stories. When mm. you sit there like I do, and you say, "Yeah, you know what." I stole money from a lady that her last pennies were to try to put a roof on the house for her and her kids. And I stole that money. Yeah. And I know that, that it becomes like, real. No, yeah. It becomes real damn personal right there. Yeah. Real damn personal. But he was but you're too taking scared to tell the truth. Right. But and, he was too scared to. And the parts about Paula Parks and her family are Ooh. infuriating. You will not be happy when you read the book. I was like, I don't think Brett's read this book because he would be blowing up my phone right now. It's well, he's a stalker. He was a stalker. It it was creepy stalking, very creepy stalking. And then she she took him home. I mean, I encourage everyone to read the book. I you know really do. I Alan Logan deserves all the credit for doing all of this research. But she, I mean, they're traumatized by this. But yeah. I mean, the short version is like he met her on a plane and just all found out her schedule and just would show up at every single airport that she would land in and just kind of tag around and we've all had those awkward situations where like somebody's just kind of there and you're like are you gonna leave you gonna leave and then she said oh well I have to go visit my family in Baton Rouge and he said okay I'll drive you and he drove her in a stolen car from Florida drove her there (laughs) and then she thought okay he's gonna drop me off no he follows her in and then he charms the pants off her. Well, not the pants, but he charms her, his, her family. And she's feeling like this guy's really great. I don't know who this guy is. Like he just followed me. And then he finally leaves and she goes back. She was a flight attendant or stewardess at the time and goes back and flies and stuff. And she calls back home a few days later. And her mom says, Oh yeah, your friend, your friend Frank is actually staying here now. What? He went back. And said, oh, yeah, don't you remember me? I'm Paula's friend. Can I stay the night? And he just stayed there. He would never leave. And it was creepy. And then he asked for all these introductions to important people in Baton Rouge. And he started buying flowers and buying nice gifts for people and paying for dinner, all with either checks or a charge card that weren't his. And it's it's creepy and it's an invasion. And it is the opposite of not, not victimizing individuals. This family was relative, they had humble means and they lived in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and he robbed them of, I mean, $1,500 back in the seventies. That's a lot of freaking money. It's a lot of money. That was all they had. And when they started seeing him on TV, they were traumatized. They were horrified. They couldn't believe that he was on here telling these big stories. I mean, this guy, it was a total violation of privacy. And so supposedly, and I, again, I've not read the book. You've read it. Yeah. 
I've I've read yeah maybe about a quarter. I was okay, trying so to. <laughs> I've read the re- I've read I've watched some of the YouTube stuff. I'm, the book is coming. It's just late arriving. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've read the, the book reviews. Everything else is on it. It appears that most of these crimes that he claims that he committed that he didn't was supposedly mm-hmm. between the ages of sixteen and twenty. Yes. And, and Logan points out that during the those that those ages of sixteen to twenty, Frank Abagnale is in prison. For yes, most of that, that most thank of you that for time. pointing that out. Yes, yes, he was in, yeah, yeah, he was in like low level, yeah, county jail and prison during the times that he said that he committed these. Yes, I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, everything is just so clearly debunked, right? And like right. I said, beginning, like there were two really good journalists in the 70s when he first, you know, started making his rant rounds on late night TV that like completely debunked it. But because there wasn't the internet, he just picked up out of that city and went to another one. And he started realizing he could charge money for chambers of commerce to talk to them about how not to get scammed by a person like him, especially around check fraud, which sure. I think you and I both agree that that education was good. Oh, yeah. yeah. When he was talking about things he knew about. Well, that's the thing, right? I mean, check fraud, the guy has several patents, security patents on, on checks. The guy knows his stuff when he's talking about check fraud. He does. I, I won't take that away from him, even though he lied about stealing two point five million. He did not. Yeah, they. I mean, the company straight up says like they would not like that would be in the company files. There is not right. even anything about that. Like, but he knows yeah. check fraud. He does know. Yes, that. absolutely. We and this is the that. other. This is the other major problem that I got, and I bitched with, at you with about this stuff. <laughs> I knew this was coming. <laughs> so. Actually, we have a podcast episode from like a year and a half ago. Yes. Of us talking about that podcast AARP. I don't think we necessarily said like the he no showed. I can't remember. Right. But I know that we picked apart the little part you put at the end, like, I'm such an expert. I'm going to tell you how to protect yourself from someone like this guy used to be. Right. And he was telling everyone, I'll tell them because I know then I'll let you go on the rant. He was telling everyone that the best way to protect yourself from fraud, like card fraud, was not to use a debit card. And that ticked you off to know. And I actually disagree with it because, (laughs) A, like that, there's a small part of that that was true. Like 15 years ago, there were a little bit differences on the chargeback rules for fraud on debit versus credit. 15, 20 years ago. So there's a tiny part of that that, that was true at one point. That's not even close to true now, but I would love for you to share you know, a little bit about why that angered you so much. And I agree with you. But. I'll tell you what, all right? He and I are alike in that our stories, my story and his story, it opens doors. There's no doubt about that. It will open a door. All right. People love both those stories. The difference, other than my story is true and his is not. Right. <laughs> the difference kind is, of kind of a big difference. Kind by of the way. a difference. But the the difference is is that once he opens the door with that, because I, I I say this all the time, my story opens the door. What keeps me hired with that company is the knowledge that I bring after the story. Yeah. Frank Abigail's story, he he opens the door as well. But then he decides to talk about stuff that he has no idea about. (laughs) That's the issue. Yeah. He's paid for that. Yeah. So, and that's the piece. Yeah. The advice on identity theft, on credit cards. I don't know how many times I have gotten so angry at like reading something he said or because it's just not true. Because it's wrong. It's wrong. 
Yeah. But, and but you got all these wrong advice. You got all these CISO conferences, all these fraud conferences, everything else. And I'm going to be honest with you, check fraud, who knows? The problem is, is yeah. that the world has moved on from checks. <laughs> I was just going to say, yeah. So yeah. they right. try to they try to shoehorn him in to talk about tax return identity. Right. To talk about credit card fraud, to talk about stimulus fraud, whatever. And he doesn't understand any of it. No, he's gotten things confused so much about like credit reports for credit card fraud. And it's like, wait, if there's credit card fraud, it doesn't show up on your credit report unless it was identity theft. Like <laughs> he right. mixes them all up. And I, and it's, that's where I've gotten really frustrated. And that's where I've said that he was full of crap. I actually didn't question necessarily that, like, I thought there had to be some level of truth to the first part, but you and I both. And I was like, I want you to start going on the conference circuits because right. I want people to learn the real stuff. I mean, you provide real advice that helps people right. not become victims of identity theft, not become, or have their business become a victim of business compromise email or anything else. The advice and information you give to companies, whether you're consulting or speaking at events is accurate and helpful and useful. And I guess in some small way, I wanted there to be a person that had had your background that was actually giving accurate, true advice that would help people. That was a big part of why I went through the process of bringing you on stage at, you know, CNP Expo and the rest was pretty much history. <laughs> and, and here's the other huge problem that I've got, other than the story being completely fake. Mm -hmm. The other huge problem that I've got is when you have a, somebody of, of Frank Abagnale's legendary, because it is, legendary. Leonardo DiCaprio played him in a Steven right. Spielberg movie, for God's sake. Yeah. When you have somebody of that legendary status that gets on a stage and gives incorrect information. Yeah. It damages the entire industry across the world. I agree. And it damages people because they have a false sense of security. Yeah. They think, oh, I did what this guy said and he obviously knows what he's doing. So I won't get, I won't become a victim of ID right. theft. I won't right. become a victim of this. And the thing about debit cards that I really appreciated you saying on, you know, that podcast episode from so long ago, I'll put it in the show notes of my podcast is that not everybody can have a credit card. Like oh. that's so, it's just so elitist. And now you're, and not only that, but like it, it just doesn't, I mean, it's complete bullshit. I don't know how else to like, it doesn't make any sense, but like those are, and he always has like the same three things. I'm like, at least steal the same three things that Brett always says. That's right. Those true, right? That's right. Credit, you know, freezing your child's credit, doing like not using the same password on everything. Like those are things that you and I are going to, those are the hills that we're going to die on, right? Yep. Like don't use the same password for God's sake. Right. And don't trust people on the internet and all the other things, but like, I, that's something I agree with you that I'm frustrated with is that I feel like at least for you and I, the reason we do podcasts, the reason we speak at, you know, events, the reason that we post on social media and everything else is because we want to get education out there and yeah. information out there. Yeah. We want to help people. And yeah, we don't make any money on this podcast. No, we don't. <laughs> Come on, man. No, 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 we, ne we never did. In fact, it no. always has cost us money because we pay for editing. I mean, I guess you edit your own now, but like, yeah, yeah if that's your time, but. I mean, yeah, we've never done it for the money. I mean, we've both been really fortunate, but right. you did lose multiple six figures last year because of speaking. Yeah. The yeah, fact I did. that you didn't go back into crime, I just have to say publicly, I'm so proud of you. There was 
a little bit of time I was worried about it. I'm not. Me too. Me too. (laughs) But I, and we had our, I mean, obviously our podcast is no longer like we had our ups and downs last year too, but I think that it speaks volumes. And I hope that this situation highlights and brings to light to people like, okay, this is what a real fraud looks like. And then this is what a reformed fraudster looks like. Yeah, because And I want to tell you, I, I, I won't tell the guy's name, but I spoke with a CEO two days ago, two days mm-hmm. ago. And I brought this topic up because the CEO mm-hmm. knows Frank extremely well. All right? ah, mm-hmm. And uh, he hadn't heard this story. He was shocked. And I was like, look, man, I said, honestly, I'm going to get on there and we're going to talk about it because somebody has to. This needs to be discussed because Frank Abigail's not the only one out there. Well, and here's the, I mean, this book has been out since January, Brett. Since January. Nobody's and, talking about it. And I, I want to get to that. I want you to, yeah. You know what? The thing is, is that Frank Abagnale, while being a fraud with his story and everything, he has done some good. He mm-hmm. has helped people, mm-hmm. you know, especially with check fraud. He's yep. got, I think it's 17 patents on different security features with checks. Mm-hmm. The guy knows his stuff. The guy has helped people. The guy's got an inspirational story that has inspired not only me, but countless others. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, there there is some a lot of good there. Not just some, there's a lot. But the problem is, tell the truth. Yeah. Yeah, I victimized people. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't know. When, when I'm asking a conference or a webinar something that I don't know, I will tell them that I don't know that. You do. You do. Frank Abinell won't do that. He will lie. And he has like The only thing he's doing is he's regurgitating. You said it yourself. He's regurgitating. He's, somebody's telling him to get out there and say that, or he's reading mm. on Google. Or he's asking someone smart. And I I mean, I used to be that someone smart that some people would ask and get on stage and make it sound all smart and everything. So (laughs) I I know what that's like. Um, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about past life. But I think that the other thing is he never, at least he really tries hard not to take questions at conferences. And to me, that's always a big sign. That should be a sign right there. Talking about, there's a couple other people and within our industry that I feel like their information is regurgitated and then they refuse to take questions. And I'm like, that's because you don't know what you're talking about. That's right. If you're refusing to answer a question and I stay at a conference until every single question. That's my favorite part. Because I right. like to know what it, what, how That's do I right. to improve my talk? How can I, what do you want to know? And then it helps me know what's going on in their business. Like, I love yep. that part. If you, if you're not, if you're not answering questions, I'm going to tell you, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. You're I scared agree. somebody's going to call you out on something. Yep. Yep. That's I fact. agree with you. <laughs> I mean, so let me ask you, because I've got an opinion on this. Oh boy. You said it. Nobody's bought this book, The Greatest hmm. Hoax by Alan Logan. I nope. wouldn't say nobody. He has 65 five-star reviews on Amazon. Okay. So 65 people have bought the book. Or have reviewed, yeah. All right. Yeah. And nobody in our circles. Okay, so I will nobody, say not nobody. It's not been picked up by the news. There's no, well, one NPR article, right? right? And it was like a local NPR station. Mm-hmm. And I actually saw it. I just happened to be scrolling through LinkedIn on like a Saturday morning last week. And somebody like one of my distant connections had just posted it. The algorithm doesn't show when you like reshare a link or whatever. So it was just nobody else had seen it. And I was like, wait, what? And I clicked, I thought, uh, and the picture was of Spielberg and Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hanks and Frank Abagnale. And I couldn't believe it. And I've only seen one other person post it and it's nobody that really has a big following. 
And I sent it to you. I sent it to Frank McKenna. Kelly Paxton did see it and reached out to me. But like we're, you know, because those of us that are kind of top and fraud, we all right. know each other. At least those are active on LinkedIn. And I, so you want to know from me why I think it hasn't been picked yeah. up yet? I think it's a combination. I think Frank was reached out to about this book and he just said his quote was something about like, I don't, I think I wrote it down somewhere, but basically I don't have a comment. Like this is a bunch of bullshit basically. And then he, he leaves. That's kind of his MO, right? And it sure. comes up in the book a lot too. Anytime he was questioned, he just leaves. And obviously when he's in the same room as you at Quantico, he leaves when he's, when you're booked on the podcast that he's supposed to be interviewing on, he just no shows. But yeah, so he, he said, I have not read the book, nor do I think it's worthy of a comment. So I oh. was thinking, oh. I know the man has made a lot of money. I know he's made a lot of money off of this story. I think he's done a really good job of ignoring it and hoping it goes away. But I also wouldn't be surprised if he didn't hire a PR firm to kind of bury it a little bit and with Google algorithms and SEO, sure. et cetera, to make sure that it doesn't come up whenever anyone Googles him because it doesn't. I checked, but that's, I think the other thing is just maybe not as much publicity because the author, the the publisher isn't very, you know, it's, I, I don't know if it's self-published or it's a small publishing firm. He's not like on doing media tour. So those are kind of, I mean, I'm kind of maybe grasping at straws, but sure. like, those are my ideas, but I did ask you the same thing. And I really, I got a little preview of your, of your opinion. Cause you can't sure. hold back. Sure. And I appreciate I can't, it. So, you know, I can't, you know, but that's why we're doing this. Right. But I would, yeah. I would love to understand why you think that this hasn't been picked up. And I mean, there's a reason you and I are coming together for this, sure. right? Like, want to amplify it for many reasons. It's not to call anyone out or be jerks, but no, because again, it's important I think to know conferences are still booking him for speaking he's still on the board of a few large companies i mean that's right which i'm sure that i will not be hired by those companies while he's working there i'm positive of that well you that has actually happened before and we know that right Right. he's he's sabotaged some projects that you have there you go so i'll say it you don't have to i can't fault the guy making money I can't. I think the story's great. I think he's done. So, I can so fault good. him for making way too much money. I mean, well, I and, and some of, sometimes I know one company has paid him 20 grand a day, a day, yeah, a day, a day. <laughs> All for bullshit and lies and no good yeah. advice. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if the story wasn't, wasn't true, but the advice was at least legitimate and helped people protect themselves and their businesses from scams, you and I might not be as, as right. upset about it, but because so, all of it isn't, True. Yeah. Yeah. So my thing is, and I've told you this before, gave a TED talk about it. The perception of truth yeah. is more important than the truth itself. All right. Another way to, fake, yeah. Right. Another way to put that is in the movie The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Jimmy Stewart, John Wayne. In that film, Jimmy Stewart plays a man who becomes famous and important because he shoots or he gets credit for shooting a guy named Liberty Valance. Horrible guy. The movie is about Jimmy Stewart telling what really happened, and he's telling it to this reporter. And at the end of the film, we find out that Jimmy Stewart didn't shoot Liberty Valance, and John Wayne shot him, but John Wayne never claimed credit. He let Jimmy Stewart get the credit for that. And Jimmy Stewart goes on to be this powerful, important, famous, famous guy. Jimmy Stewart tells the reporter this. Upon hearing it, the reporter stands up with his notes, rips the notes into, throws the notes to the ground. Jimmy Stewart's like, well, why'd you do that? The reporter looks at him and says, sir, this is the West. When the legend becomes fact, print the legend. And I think that's exactly what's going on here. I'll give you another example. I told you this before we, before mm-hmm. we started recording. 
But what you're saying is that people want to believe the story versus what actually, like facts don't matter anymore, which is something that's, right. that's very frustrating to that's me. That's right. Facts don't matter. 2021 facts um, and 2020. Matter. Yeah, but facts don't seem to matter, right? It's a nice uh -huh. story. You put a package, you put a bow on it. Like It's it become, matter. the story itself has become so big. Yeah. That yeah. it is now truth. Yeah. Paul Revere, Paul Revere, the guy who warned that the British was, was coming. Did he? No. He rode 19 miles from Boston to Cambridge. Meanwhile, this other kid, Israel Bissell, rides on horseback 345 miles from Connecticut to Philadelphia to warn that the British were coming. Now, who gets credit? Yeah, who gets credit? Paul Revere. Why? Because Paul Revere is in the poem by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, The Midnight Ride of Paul Revere. Mm. The fact that the legend becomes a fact, print the legend. You don't hear about Israel Bissell, even though he's the guy. You mm. hear about Paul Revere because he's a legend. You hear about Frank Abagnale because Steven Spielberg made him a legend. And I think that's what Alan Logan forgets in his book. Mm. Yeah, he's telling exactly 100% the truth, 100%. Yeah. Frank lied about it all. He has over 20 pages of sources in like 10 fonts. I mean, he was extremely <laughs> thorough. I'm not even joking. It's like insane. His bibliography, like, honestly, gives me flashbacks to like high school literature and having to write these big, long essays with, ugh, it was the worst. But so, like, and I, I'm not an outstanding job. Yeah, yeah. But it's, but it's frustrating, right? That like, yeah. facts don't matter. Facts don't matter. My problems with it. You did hurt people. You certainly mm -hmm. stalked this woman. You stole from people. Yeah. You hurt mom and pop businesses. Tell yeah. the truth about that. And by God, stop speaking on things that you don't know about. Because yeah. you're hurting the entire industry at that point. And not only that, but like that FBI agent told me, I'm paving the way for people that come after me. Frank mm -hmm. Abagnale did that same thing, but he did it on lies. Yeah. And because he did it on lies, because he did it on a lie, that colors everybody that comes past him, including me, including everybody that comes after me. Yeah. That's a problem. Well, and I think it erodes trust, right? I yeah. mean, like, especially with the large companies that you work with. I mean, I, I know, at least for myself, whenever I'm evaluating a new opportunity that may be a different type than I have before, I always put it through this filter of, am I going to retain merchants trust am i going to have the big well the biggest companies in the world still think oh i don't know who else to ask i'm gonna ask carice right when big things happen i mean and a lot of them are in the news right but they come to me because they know i'm not gonna go run and tell sure. media outlets like this is what's actually happening or anything like right. that but i run everything i do through that like trust is the most important thing to me i mean it's a currency and it's earned in drops but lost in buckets and that's exactly right I worry that there, there's a small part of me that was like, well, if we try to amplify this story, is it going to impact Brett's career? And it might, um, it might, but you know what, we, that, that's that you just mentioned trust. And that's, yeah. that's a lot of the reason why, why we ended up with our own separate podcast, because we both use trust in different ways. We hmm. both view that in different ways. Yeah, true. People, people trust me to call it like it is, regardless of who mm -hmm. the hell it is. Yeah. All right. And people trust you to be confidential about things. Right. 
and did not do as you need to do, and 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 to and to do <laughs> and to do it from behind the scenes. Right. Even right. though that Brett Johnson, I'm going to call it like it is. Right. Loudly. And because and, of that, there are some companies that will never ever hire me <laughs> well when you call one of the biggest banks in the united states assholes on stage and they're in the audience hmm, what do you think's gonna happen <laughs> probably you're not gonna get a gig with that company <laughs> you know then again wow. we offered them free consulting because we really did want to explain That's to them right. why you said and you, may, and and you may not be back at that is- conference again after that just one of those things well to be fair that conference hasn't happened since then because of covid so there is true that's true technicality but no you're right i guess i I hadn't thought of it that way but you're right we're trusted for different things and that became they conflicted with each other it became a big issue and then that meant we conflicted with each other because our goal of trust of wanting to keep the trust of the people who trust us that just sounded very repetitive but we take it seriously you take it seriously about being Absolutely. honest with people and i do too but just in a different way i i can't say company names i was in right. one article about one of the biggest social media companies in the world and i tried to be very much this is what best practices i didn't talk i really didn't talk about the company i was just like well this is what should have happened and i still got a pretty upset email from the head of their trust and safety who i had had beers with a few months before in vegas and he was like what the f i feel like you stabbed me in the back and i'm like what i wasn't even talking about you guys i was just talking about like what it was parallel to what you were doing but meanwhile i call out that company religiously you do and and i get you know but it's that's the difference you you (laughs) operate on it on it's still trust but it's a different aspect and that doesn't mean that I don't call them out. It doesn't Absolutely. mean that I don't, uh, but it's behind the scenes. It's one-on-one or I call, or I talk about the company without saying the name so people can fill in the blank if they want right. to. And some, and some, most of the time they're right. But if I didn't say it, I didn't say it like that's. Right. And so I think that, yeah, our missions, but you and I both understand how important trust is when you're a public persona, when people are looking to you for advice. There's nothing more important take that, that seriously. There is yeah. nothing more important. And, and that what is Frank Abagnale has done is he's da- Frank Abagnale has damaged trust among all figures of notoriety. And that, that's not necessarily hmm. criminal figures. Yeah. Because there's a whole lot of cybersecurity people have who have some notoriety around them. Right. And with him telling lies, it has damaged that entire trust across the spectrum. And I have a huge problem. So I've got a huge problem with the guy in general, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> No, I, I agree with you. If if you hear um, pages turning, it's because I was trying to find this one part that I had bookmarked. Well, I'd put my finger in and then I, I talk with my hands <laughs> and I lost it. But I thought it was a really good place to kind of end because it taught it just really, I think. Okay, so. Sorry, I want to just read a little bit more here. So they talked about the movie and how it was stamped with words like true story and the basis of and it was the basis of the hit DreamWorks movie and now a Broadway musical. The cover. Oh, so he's talking about the book. Right. And the cover belies the fading fantasy that lays and lies within. And then he goes on the Alan Logan goes on to say. And that appetite was not dulled with time. His relatively recent talks at Google presentation alone has been viewed over 7 million times in counting. I think it's more than that. I think it's a lot more than that now. 
It might seem like hyperbole to entitle this book, The Greatest Hoax on Earth. But if you step back, you can see an unprecedented clowning of the upper reaches of power and or vital institutions that otherwise act as an important societal glue. Our major media outlets, academia, elite tech companies, intelligentsia, politicians, aristocrats of Hollywood, household name associations, and of course, the Bureau. That's a problem because our system, the entire enterprise, only works if we trust the truth within. Eugene Stewart, senior FBI agent and later Delta's security director, knew that. He surely knew that if he, in either of these roles, fabricated his bio in a media interview or at a podium, it would have meant immediate dismissal. So, yeah, that obviously references something else in the book. But the part about that's the problem because our system, the entire enterprise only works if we trust the truth within. And I think that that sentence can be applied to a lot in our world right now. I agree. I agree. It can. I mean, it's, uh, I don't think we're going to solve any problems today. I don't, I'm not sure. That's not our goal. I think, yeah. I mean, hopefully some people will listen to this podcast and, and really consider that. I mean, I, I don't have the story, the story's fake. I mean, I I agree. It's the greatest hoax ever was because he's fooled an entire planet with the story. So he gets credit for that. He gets credit for that. And I mean, if you would have written it in a novel and called it fiction, it would have been amazing. Like right. that's, I mean, it's, there's no, there's an art form to create such really detailed and interesting right. stories. And I'm not trying to complain or bellyache. I'm, no, I, I would, I would urge companies, if you want to hear the story, pay for the story. But if you're bringing them in, if you're bringing them in to comment on stuff that he really doesn't know about. Yeah, it's dangerous. I would urge you guys not to do that, truthfully. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't have to bring me in. You can bring Carissa in. You bring, there's tons of people you bring in. But bring somebody in that knows what the hell you're talking about. Because when you don't, when you bring somebody in that's just making stuff up, just reading stuff off Google, mm-hmm. it damages the entire industry across the board. It makes it harder a harder job for everybody involved. It does, yeah. Because people either think that they're doing the right things or... They're do like legitimately doing the wrong things and putting themselves more at risk. Some of yeah. the information, I mean, I don't follow, I haven't, certainly I haven't sat and listened to everything he says, but the things I have, it's not just a little bit wrong. It's very wrong. And it, and yeah. that's concerning. And I mean, I think really just to kind of close it out, like our, our concern was that if not many people knew about this, I just, like I said earlier, I have to credit Alan C. Logan so much and I plan on you know sending him a link to this podcast episode he really did a lot of work on this and I think it's I hope that this episode is a you know tribute to him and his work in saying like we need to call attention to this because if not many people know about all of it then he's going to continue to charge a lot of money to tell his story he's going to continue to charge a lot of money to tell very incorrect facts which you and I have taken issue with before but we've kind of and that was mostly on me like wanting to not stir the pot too much but in addition to sharing our own thoughts on it like we thought it was our job to come together and share this information you and i we will always have this very unique bond where you were the former criminal and i was the one that discovered you in quotation marks and you did the rest i mean you've worked your butt off and and really done a great job and you've proven yourself right to be in those positions you know, yeah, you, there was a trail blaze for you. Right. And now to find out that the person who blazes the trail, it was complete bullshit. I mean, maybe that makes you the original. Now it's like, you're the friend. You're not like, all right, Abigail, cybercrime. You're the Brett Johnson of, (laughs) 
It's like, what's going on? What's going on? Can nobody tell the truth? Come on now. Well, the irony that, it, that his first debut on TV was on that show to tell the truth. And I mean, the author points this out that like, it's really maybe one of the first times that all three people were like. <laughs> well, you, you think about it. I mean, it's almost understandable with that TV show, that game show. It's almost understandable that yeah. he would get up there and he would embellish to beat all hell. Well, he had been embellishing some of it already before ah. that show, but that was the first time he was on TV for it on a national stage. So he God, and, even with me, I mean, with, with yeah, I've had people tell me, Brett, your escape story, man, it's kind of boring. We're going to have to spice <laughs> that up, right? <laughs> <laughs> truthfully it is so you could you could see you could see some yeah, TV yeah. producer looking at frank and oh, say yeah. yeah you know spice that up a little bit frank it's okay no no it was he was already like rehearsing this it, it kind of built up until right. he went yeah so it was I, a lie from the start from the start oh right. yeah, yeah i mean yeah and i think some of it was him like the i i think he believes this stuff i think you have to when you say these things so many times you tell it so many times yeah yeah, I think he has to believe it, but yeah. you know, I that or I was talking to uh, to Kelly Pope. And oh I asked yeah, Kelly, we we were talking about it, and I was like, you think this guy because he is this legend? Mm-hmm. Do you think that that he and maybe that's why he's he's never met with me or anything? Do you think he's <laughs> this guy that lives in fear that somebody in the crowd is going to stand up and scream fraud? You know, you just brought up Kelly Pope, and she did great documentary that's still on netflix is it all the queen's horses is that all the queen's about, horses about it fraud yeah and she is a professor and i have yet to meet her but really want to she just seems like my kind of person oh she's great I, and yes and i've heard yeah but what i was gonna say is what struck me there's so many documentaries and docuseries about living legends right now i mean now we're not surprised but like i would think that abigail would want to do a documentary right and like bring up the maybe not the things and oh but wait (laughs) you were in jail the whole almost the whole time that you said that you were running all over the world with the stewardess on your arms with millions of dollars of from the movie where he goes yes all the stewardesses right straight line a lie not only that yeah yeah you'll read it in the book but Ew, is what I have to say. There's, there's, I can, there was a, there was something that happened that I could see him maybe thinking that, like in his head, that was what happened, but that was not what he tagged along to a stewardess as outing and they were all like using the buddy system because he creeped them out. <laughs> Additionally, there's an, I don't know if it's, I mean, we've been going for a while, no big surprise there, but I don't know if it's even worth mentioning, but like she, Paula Parks, the stewardess or flight attendant that he stalked and moved in with his, her family and the whole thing. She said he had a smell that was just like really, really potent. And they said it almost smelled like a feral wild animal. It was way more than just body odor. Right. And so, I mean, that it's just, I don't know, it's just fascinating. It, I don't know well, why don't, that stuck out to me, but it would stick out to me too. Yeah. And here's the thing. I mean, because I mean, he must have been really charming to overcome that smell. Like, I think that's what I was thinking. Like, because they were all just like, oh, what is that? But yeah. Well, the book is The Greatest Hoax by Alan C. Logan. Um, Yes. Anybody out there listening, it's not, honestly, the book has not got a lot of traction. Carice and I have given our opinions or viewpoints of of the Frank Abnell story and problems that we have with it. I would urge everybody, because Mr. Logan has done a great deal of work in this book. I would urge everyone, if you're interested in this, to pick up the book, show yeah. your support to the guy, 
Literally. It is free on Kindle, but I would recommend purchasing the paperback. It's under $20. Yeah, please, please give this guy that mm-hmm. did this book the proper respect. Yes. And please, when you, I, I talk about, I've talked about this the past year. Trust, but verify. Mm. I, I do believe that we need to live our lives trusting other people. We cannot be scared. We cannot be these people that are paranoid, that just don't believe anything right out of the gate. I believe we should trust people. But we have to verify every single thing. Yeah. Um, and don't think that like somebody else did it. I've seen right. I've seen uh, examples of that in my consulting work recently, too. And it's right. like you just yeah. want to see somebody, somebody else. else, did else it. Did Nobody did. didn't. Nobody did. Yeah. 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 Now you have this account that's like super fraudulent and using like stolen credit cards. And you're like. And everyone's like, what? I mean, it went through the KYC. uh, But how do you know they did their job? I was actually surprised. I'm sorry. I know that we're about to know, but I was just thinking, I was actually kind of surprised that not as many people, like a lot of people took my word for it about you when you first started. And I'm glad they did. And that's a big reason why my, you know, trust. What's the voucher system? The thing is. But like nobody checked. Right. But, but and, and that was why I've edited you because I knew okay what I vouched for you. Right. You see, I'm okay with that. As long as the person vouching for you, as long as you know that they were diligent in their work. Right. That's well, the thing. And I'm grateful that they trusted me, but I'm just saying, like, that's the same trust they had for Abignale. So who's to say that that's going to ha- not happen again? And this industry needs to be pretty exclusive for right. lots of reasons. Right. I've um, got, we need to close it out. You said yes. But. Recently, there's been a couple of really high-profile cyber criminals who've gotten out of prison. And mm. they, they've approached me and asked, how can I do what you do? And my right. answer is, well, you don't. Uh, not mm. right now because you're, you've still got an ankle monitor on. Right. <laughs> so, <Yeah>. <laughs> it's going to take a lot of time. And I'm going to tell you, you're not, not going to get a You're not flying to Paris for a TED no. Talk and no. last minute like you did. So yeah. you're right. It needs to be exclusive because, and I'm going to do a, one of the podcasts I'm going to come out with now that I'm back on angler fishing and everything is what does it take to hire a former criminal? Hmm. How do you, how do you establish that trust? Hmm. How do you know that the guy's not going to rip you off? Yeah. That the guy is actually knows what he's talking about. And, and before you hire him, how do you know that? That's what this industry needs hmm. is, is, is that, I mean, you can't just pick somebody. Oh yeah. He's, he's got a record. So let's hire him. He knows what he's talking about. No, these people need no. to be vetted. You need to be able to trust them. You need to be able, as you said, you said that before I came into that conference. Mm-hmm. How do I know my people are scared that you're going to get in there and you're going to use the information against them to defraud them? They actually weren't scared about that. I was scared about you that. You were worried about that. Which you is know? what concerns me, right? Like nobody thought about that with him. But it should, it should concern. But they should. Right. That's what I think. That's my point of just bringing that up at the end is like, wow, nobody else was like, hey, who were your contacts? Who did you talk to? Who did you? I mean, sometimes I volunteered that. Like when I talked to that very large tech company, I made sure that they knew like, hey, here's everything I did to Mm -hmm. verify. Not only that he did the things he said and that he knows what he's talking about for current information, et cetera, but also that he's as reformed as like, I mean, I, I staked my career on you. Right. And a lot of people did a lot. Yeah, And I'm grateful that you took that seriously and you were helpful by that. And you didn't, (laughs) you you didn't just say, like you introduced me to these guys and these guys and an agent and see you later. But I, but I trusted you for lots of reasons, but I mean, I just, I think this is the call to action. In addition to buying this book, please 
people who organize conferences, people who our community needs to be tight. We need to not share vulnerabilities and we're bringing comment. We just, we have to be careful. Yeah. Know what you're talking about. Know who you're putting up there. Right. You know? Yeah. And, and I've made a mistake or two with people I've put up on, on keynote stages that, I mean, mistake to the point where I'm just like, ugh, they weren't as good as I thought, or they didn't actually know what they were talking about, but they weren't, they weren't former criminals. Like that's a little bit different. We've not, uh, we've not been on a podcast for a while. Which Uh, is why this one went a little long, probably. But I I want to tell you that I I really appreciate you, uh, you talking about this with me. I truly do. I mean, it it was needed. I think that, uh, People need to hear this, and I can't tell you how much I, I really thank you for uh, for being my friend and for coming on this show right now. I really do thank you for that. Well, I appreciate you asking me. You'll always be a friend of mine, and I, I appreciate you asking me. I think I hope that people really appreciated hearing both of our sides and perspectives. And I'm sure a lot of people, especially listeners of our of the online broadcast, are really excited to hear us together. And yeah, thanks so much. And I just wish you the best of luck. again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.